Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. My name is Elle and this is my reality, my podcast. Today I have a special guest named Brandon Kijik, aka my ex-boyfriend. Brandon will be providing some education and um, some, I guess, cultural uh, information regarding being Aboriginal. So uh, keep in mind though, this is strictly just Brandon Kijik's opinion and he does not represent the entire community. Uh, This will be all based on his own perspective, his own life. So um, just as a wide disclaimer. So before we get started, Brandon, do you want to um, tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you for the introduction. Um, Yeah, my name is Brandon Kijik. I'm uh, I'm from Treaty uh, Three Territory, Northwestern Ontario. Um, I'm from Show Lake 39, which the original name is Eskatewasagi Gun 39. And um, yeah, I live in Toronto. I've been living in Toronto for uh, let's see, about like seven years now, maybe a little longer. And um, just been uh, working out here and still really taking in the city and. Uh, you know, trying to visit home as much as I can. And yeah, well, that's me in a nutshell. And I've been, well, I, I've, it's not my first time being in Toronto, actually. It's, it's, it's uh, I've been in Toronto, I think back in like 2000, 2001, when I first came here for, uh, uh, for college. And I can tell you a lot, it's changed that <laughs> one heck of a lot since uh, 2000, I'll tell you. That much. And uh, yeah, so that's me. I guess awesome. that's me. Well, welcome, Brandon. Um, so as I mentioned, you are Aboriginal and which tribe are you a part of? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Ojibwe. Um, my community is, uh, is Ojibwe, uh, Sholink 39, uh, and we are from, uh, we reside in Northwestern Ontario, pretty close to the Manitoba border, uh, actually, if not on the Manitoba. Uh, so, like, if you go to my community and you go to certain areas, you can see where the Manitoba, you can see where Manitoba is, mm. and you can actually just, you know, take a boat there if you wanted to. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, uh, Ojibwe, I'm part of the Ojibwe culture, and um, have been since, uh, since I was born. I would assume so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you're, uh, I've course being that I've dated you I know that your dad is Ojibwe and your mom is Cree correct yes yes that's yeah when it comes to that part like it's it's um unfortunately like this is one of those um one of those unfortunate uh scenarios that has been caused by uh things like the 60s scoop and residential schools and, and whatnot because my mom was um <laughs> She was part of the uh, 60s scoop, unfortunately, uh, when it happened. So she she was displaced and uh, taken from her original family and was put up for adoption and was ultimately adopted by a Cree family, um, which kind of, I guess you could say, almost worked out in a cultural sense, but like still it's not a really good, it's not a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. So she was adopted by a Cree family out in the uh, James Bay region of uh, Ontario, which is um, 
it's North Ontario. It's it's right on the, the Quebec border. Uh, so she grew up in that uh, in a Cree family, and uh, al although she is Cree, although she uh, identifies as a Cree woman, she you know um, not not really by blood as a, a Cree, right? So, yeah, that's just one of those. Um, it's one of the things that's that's really impacted a lot of uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of Indigenous peoples all over Canada when it comes to uh, uh, backgrounds and, and genealogy. Because sometimes you just sometimes you just don't know, due to the fact that there's been so much widespread damage by things like the Sixty Scoop and um, residential schools that it can really kind of mix up uh, the genealogy of a lot of people's families. And for those who don't know what the 60s group, which is probably not from Canada or even Canadians that are not aware of it. So can you explain the 60s group and the residential schooling with that? Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the, the 60 okay. scoop, in a, the 60s scoop in a nutshell was just basically um, uh, I believe it was a government program or the government uh, um, having Aboriginal children uh, taken from their families and uh, put up for adoption to be adopted by supposed to be um, non-Aboriginal families. And this went, this happened uh, all over Canada. If if, uh, if I'm if I'm wrong in there, and if anybody's listening who's has more information, uh, by all means, uh, don't be shy to uh, don't be shy to to share some of that information. And um, the residential schools, on the other hand, were just uh, like you know they're not really schools. <laughs> they're uh, what do you no, call it? Uh, they were not basically schools. like they're they're basically assimilation camps. I think it was it's probably the more the better term for them because that's really what they were. You went, uh, you know, people's kids were taken from them and put them into put into these. Uh, these institutions to assimilate them into um, Western Western culture, like teaching them how to only speak English and uh, or French, depending on or French, are. yeah, yeah, or French, and just really, really making them ashamed of their own culture and um, so basically a cultural gen genocide. If yeah, can. basically, yeah, and that 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 cultural shame too that that was introduced at these uh at these institutions it's still it still persists to this day I and mean, you still see a lot of it there's still a lot of people out there who who are ashamed of their their culture and it's we're mm. slowly slowly moving away from that finally we started we're starting to get starting to become more proud of, of who we are and so that was just one of the lingering effects of uh, the, uh, the residential schools so and uh unfortunately my dad was was uh was in one of these uh residential schools along with all his, his brothers really and um uh, my, my grandfather as well and my my grandmother i believe as well she was there she attended these uh one of these the schools so yeah it's 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 impacted uh it, it's definitely been an impact in my life um and Does, um sorry go on. no go ahead no i was gonna say i mean and and i can just imagine with what's come to the recent light for people who are not Aboriginal or people who maybe just came to Canada and understanding and seeing the um, 
devastation of these the devastating story, sorry, of these children's 215 children's bodies in one province and then another several hundred in another province because of residential schooling. I mean, I can imagine how that may have impacted just the entire community, but as well as, um, I mean, every Canadian who heard about it. But I mean, for you, how do you think, um, how do you think the media handled the situation? I think the media, media handled it, it, it quite well. Yeah. Like they did bring a lot of, uh, they brought a lot of awareness to it. There was a lot of coverage mm -hmm. uh, around the, um, the their uh, the discoveries, I think, I guess you can say, of these sites, and they really, really highlighted what the, what what happened there, or kind of not really what happened, but the effects of what happened, right. the after effects. Because a lot of these a lot of these children, they went to these schools, and they never came back. So it's you know there there's you know you had you to have two two outcomes here. You know they perished at these schools or they somehow became upstanding or just some sort of citizen in Kenya in the in in the Canadian communities which didn't happen so yeah that's the that was basically the only the only other scenario was that a lot of them died and perished in these schools and now the um the bodies are just being found so I guess right now it's after after all these years I don't. I don't exactly know what their, their next course of action is going to be, but mm -hmm. maybe like I was even thinking myself, maybe like exhuming the bodies and seeing what you know, maybe what some of them died of, what were the causes of death, was it um, was it severe malnutrition, was it neglect, was it uh, abuse, was it you know because abuse can amount to manslaughter. So like it's there has to be some sort of answer to some of these questions, and then. Some closure, yeah. Yeah, and then maybe the uh, the the bigger the bigger question afterwards is what what do we do then? Right. So I think that's the question that's gonna. I think that's a question that's that's that a lot of people are really gonna struggle with. What should we do after all of that is done? Right. Absolutely. And how do you? Um, what do you say when you hear the media or uh, the prime minister say say things like it was our a, it's a dark past. Canadian dark past, historical past that we have. Well, when I hear uh, when I hear the, the the prime minister use kind of words like words such as you know it's a dark chapter in our history. Yeah. You know it really downplays the the importance and the significance of what happened, and it really downplays how recent it was. It's it's anything could be really called history depending on where and how you look at it. Like Yesterday just, it was history, so <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Like I just filled up my glass of water an hour ago. That's just so like it really depends. It's 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 really a matter of perspective. So and for this, for for whenever for when I hear people just refer to it as history, uh, you know, it's it's something that's a dark chapter. It's it's uh it is, but it's very recent. Like there's I, I think there's cold cases that you know cops still look for and like are still trying to solve mm -hmm. in regards to uh to people who have been murdered in the 20s and 30s and then like hell even the even survivors uh surviving um 
offenders from the, the Holocaust are still being hunted down all over the world. And still, some of them are still being brought to justice. And that happened in the 40s. Uh, so, yeah. And the... Uh, Not the survivors. Sorry, you mean the ones, the Nazis that escaped, you mean? Or... Yeah, the Nazi offenders. Yes, okay. Yeah. Um, so, like... Yeah, so, like, they're still being brought to justice. And the, the, the thing with the residential schools and all the people who, who took part in it and were complacent in in all the tragedies that happen around here you know there's still a lot of them are still living their life um worry free they're still out there and nothing's been done about it yeah so yeah. like that's i think that's one of the most frustrating aspects of this is that is that all of these uh these mass graves these these crime scenes are being are being um brought to uh brought to the public's eyes and everyone's just saying, oh, it's just history, right? Because the last school, the last residential school that closed was in, nine, I believe it was 1997 or 1996. And that wasn't a long time ago. Like I was just, I was a teenager. And it just, it blows my mind that these schools were still operating at that time. So it's, when it comes to a very progressive society, we're, 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 we're barely even there. Yeah. That's, I absolutely agree. Um, I mean, people are angry, as rightfully so. And I mean, unfortunately, the it seems as though some have taken their anger. We don't know who. We don't even know if they're even Aboriginal, probably could not be, but have now retaliated in ways of burning churches. And um, I think a few of them have been uh, been set fire in various prop. I don't know if it was Edmonton or BC. Uh, I can't remember exactly which, because I think Alberta and BC were the two prop. Maybe it was Saskatchewan. I can't remember. Um, however, uh, of course, nobody condones, you know, that type of violence to to rectify what has happened. As we can't bring, unfortunately. Of course, we can't bring these children back, and but something does need to happen. That's not the burning of the churches, but yes, something does need to happen in order to, um, I guess, at least for closure purposes and for the people involved, find out who were who were still there, regardless of how old they are. Right now. Yeah, that's true. Like it's 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 unfortunate that these these acts of vandalism do happen, but. At the same time, like when you see stuff like this, when you when you hear the news of that happening, you can, well, well, from my own perspective, like I can understand mm -hmm. um, the frustration and the anger that a person would be feeling to carry out that sort of action. It's yeah. not the right action, but believe me, it's that like it's far from the right action. But when you start seeing this, all of these things that are come to light, and it's it's it really it it really makes it, it really angers people and, yeah um, rightfully it's really no, it's yeah it's really no different when other people other other communities act out and lash out and uh and and carry out carry out acts of um other accidents as well like you know toppling statues or whatever yeah like do i think that's a good that's a good way to resolve uh your anger no i don't think so but um it's gonna happen unfortunately and, but there are other ways of going of, about um, 
yeah, there are other ways of going about it. And there's, there's other ways of um, really arriving at a, at a place of, um, how should I say this? Arriving at a place of uh, understanding between the two parties, such as the Aboriginal communities and the, uh, the rest of Canada. Mm -hmm. to some sort of understanding and everybody coming together and making some sort of decision as to what's or what monuments are appropriate I guess you could say. Yeah I mean I remember we had this discussion when the first time we've seen like the statues that were being toppled down I think it was John A. Macdonald um, who if anybody doesn't know is Canada's first prime minister and and i don't believe i don't remember was it in montreal or was it in i can't remember which uh city it was that they did this too but um they protested and toppling it down and i think you made a really good point that you know i get the anger i understand it but it would have been better if it was done by a consensus between the community and the government like we're taking yeah. this down rather than people just who are angry and now they're just toppling down statues because it's there's it's it's a different um effect when it's just people just vandalizing it rather than the government making it a point to say we recognize that we should be taking the statue down for yes. the people yes Yes, and that's a more meaningful gesture. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's the, that's the more, that's the proper way to go about it when there's, um, when there's, when people recognize it on uh, on, on both sides. So yes. That's that's the way to to really um, rectify those situations, not uh, not to go out on a spree of vandalism and toppled statues and burn structures and all this kind of stuff so that doesn't really that doesn't buy you a whole lot of confidence from the, the public it just makes you look like uh you're, you're operating outside the law and you're you're willing to do whatever it takes and what i mean when i mean whatever it takes to resort to some sort of violent actions and nobody it's it's hard for a lot of people to get on board with that and a lot of, and a lot of the public yeah will not condone that exactly i completely agree i mean i say not to divert it away from Aboriginal, but the same thing I see in the States as well, when they had the statues being protested and toppled down, I was like, all right, I mean, I get you're angry, but at the same time, it would have been more effective if there was some agreement or someone, like a way that they could, you know, get the statues down um, in a more meaningful way. But, you know, people get angry <laughs> at history. <laughs> and then I guess uh, that's, their way of uh, retaliating yeah. um but in a, on a uh lighter note um i know your dad speaks ojibwe your grandfather also who speaks ojibwe um your your paternal grandfather and uh you yourself you told me that you did not you didn't grow up speaking it did you wish you grew up speaking ojibwe Yes, yes, definitely. I wish I, I, I wish I knew how to speak the language um, fluently, or if not fluently, at least more in a in a conversational manner. Mm -hmm. um, because growing up, like I did hear it around um, my family, 
and it, it was it was there but it wasn't there all the time like it was something that i would hear like words like here and there but for the most part it was just you know english in my my household mm-hmm. so and i can understand that my parents wanted like wanted me and my brother to have a, a better chances of in life because we, we you know we were going to be growing up outside of uh the reservation outside of our, our culture so they wanted us to be well prepared for that have the right tools and one of those tools is obviously able to speak in english um so yeah it wasn't really around it wasn't really around uh the language wasn't really around us as much as it was it was mm-hmm. though but it wasn't it's, it's a weird kind of thing it's not like some other more remote uh northern communities if you go to those those uh northern communities in uh in ontario that are kind of fly in reserves that's where they're more um just in it like they they speak it like everybody there is fluent yeah very fluent in it yeah because it's and that's one of the things i guess you can say that's that isolation unfortunately has caused that they're able to, to keep that aspect of their culture and i've like i've seen it before when i was when i used to work uh, back in kenora like i'd see these kids who are younger than me and uh like speaking fluent Ojibwe, and uh it, i'm just like wow this is, you know it's something you don't see that often so it was always nice to see that but Unfortunately, in the situations that I was that I saw them speaking that in, it was it wasn't in the it wasn't in the greatest situations, given that uh, given some of the places I was working for. Oh. But uh, but for me personally, yes, I, I really do wish that I could uh, I could speak it, um, at, at least at a conversation level. Yeah, yeah, that would be nice. And would you uh, be able to teach us a few words that you do know in a Ojibwe? <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's one actually. There's one that always gets that always confuses uh, quite a few people because they 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 very they very do much uh, sound the same. Which is bouju. It means hello. So you hear that, and you hear like the French version of them saying, "Oh, it's hello." And it like bonjour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh so, wow. So there's 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 a similarity with that word, and there's I've I've heard of people being like I've heard of um, other Aboriginal people saying that to other people in certain parts of Canada, and they the other person felt they were talking in French or something. Like that. Oh no! <laughs> so um, uh, so yeah, there's there's that word. There's so it's uh, a bouju, it's a bouju. Bonjour, yeah, yeah. Bonjour, and then it's kind of similar to bonjour. So it's yeah. a little bit, okay. Uh, yeah, that's very, very similar. If you're saying it fast, like, because when you say bonjour, the people say bonjour, like they say it very quickly. So it kind of sounds like bonjour, like the same thing. So I can understand that. Awesome. What's the other word? Yeah, there's um, amek, which is beaver. Uh, there's maingan, which is eagle. Um, you, so the second one was amek? Yeah, yeah. Amek is beaver beaver so canadian amic yeah yeah <laughs> canadian beaver and uh meingan which is uh eagle meingan yeah okay meingan and um okay cool uh, i think and one that uh, one that me and you have heard quite often which was makwa one of your friend's dog's name and um yeah that's right I'm, i can't really think of 
others right now. They're doing no, that's stuff. good. Yeah. Um, I know, yeah, for anyone, my friend Lena, Lucy Farrow, who's Lucy Farrow Lowe's, she's the owner um, and baker of uh, her, her company. Um, she has this amazing, gorgeous husky. It's so big, it's humongous. And she named him Maqua, but she kind of, I think she pronounces it Maqua. It's a little bit different, I guess, pronunciation, but <laughs> not really the correct way. Um, but uh, yeah, she named him um, Maqua, is that how you say it? Yeah, Maqua. Maqua, uh, which means bear in Ojibwe, which Brandon told me. And I was like, well, it makes sense. The dog is pretty massive and does look like a little, looks does look like a bear. So um, it's kind of fitting, but it was interesting because when you see a non-Aboriginal person with a pet name that is Aboriginal, I guess that's pretty, that was pretty interesting. But cool. I'm glad that she found it from a different culture. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for that little lesson uh, in legit way. Those few words. That's actually pretty cool. Uh, and for the Ojibwe people, they, as you've mentioned, they reside in Ontario, Northwestern Ontario. Yeah, a lot of the um, a lot of Ojibwe people um, kind of reside where where I'm originally from, which is northwestern Ontario. So there's there's a, a strong Ojibwe um, community and population that's in and around that area. And uh, I think it's I think they go like it goes as far south as I'm trying to think uh, geographically. I think it goes down to like Minnesota. Um, I don't maybe North Dakota as far maybe, um, mm -hmm. and then it goes down maybe maybe there's some in Michigan, yeah, uh, but yeah like you kind of you kind of you can kind of see it geographically like where where quite a few of us are, like Northwestern Ontario then you kind of kind of branch out into Eastern Ontario, and uh, maybe even as far south as um, maybe Uxbridge around that area, um, so like. So yeah, we're 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 kind of all around um, situated in like I guess you could say the central part of Canada. Yeah. And then you go you go into the northern um, the northern Ontario communities. Uh, quite a few of them are Ojibwe. And what's interesting though about them is that they like the um, the Ojibwe language isn't just um, it's, there's. How should I say it? It's like uh, it changes from okay. community to community. Oh, so different like, dialects. Yeah, there, there's it turns into different dialects and different pronunciations of different words because, like I said, oh. some of those communities are, are fairly remote and they're they're kind of cut off from each other. So there are certain dialects out there for Ojibwe uh, for the Ojibwe language from different communities. Are they like major dialects? Like, is there a major change? Um, from what I understand, sorta sometimes it depends, mm -hmm. and there are also there is also um, kind of like a mix of two languages, which is called Oji Cree, and it's um, oh. Ojibwe and Cree kind of mixed together because the, I guess at some point in time that two cultures kind of were so close together in certain areas of 
Ontario or Canada, and then the the language just kind of almost turned into a new language. So there's there's there is an, uh, a language out there called OG Cree as well. Oh, that's pretty cool. Oh wow. I wonder if anyone out there who speaks OG Cree, please let me know. Because <laughs> that would be <laughs> amazing to uh, um, to learn more about that and the history on that. Um, so talk about growing up on the reserve. How was that? Um, I guess you I guess you can say like for me it wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't terrible for my own self. Right? No, I just want everybody to know that this is my own personal experience, right? So it wasn't a terrible thing for for me. I had a fairly good childhood. I it was quite free. I was um had a lot of time to play outside. It was outdoors. Um my community, Show Lake 39, which is Gante Razagigan, is is a reserve that's kind of situated off of um, off of Highway 17. Um, I think about 15 kilometers off of Highway 17. Um, yeah, off of Highway 17. And we're it's kind of like the boonies. It's it's um, there's about 300 of us that live out there, and the whole reservation itself it's close, kind of like in. Um, yeah, kind of like not a perfect circle, but it's it goes around like that. And so some of the houses aren't really like close together. Some of them can be quite spaced out. The road is dirt, it's gravel, I should say. And um, in certain areas, there's more of a, a kind of like a, a, like a street kind of vibe to it. But uh, where I grew up, it was quite um, uh, quite separated from a lot of the other houses. So like for me, you know, I kind of grew up in the in a wooded area so like you know, you know there was a lot of a lot of wildlife there's a lot of a lot of freedom to do quite a quite a lot of things actually and like my normal day when i was a kid from what i can remember was you know i'd wake up eat breakfast and then go play outside for the basically the whole day you know come inside if i needed to eat and be outside again and just kind of like exploring like kind of like huckleberry sort of <laughs> lifestyle like just getting out there and exploring the the, the surroundings and the the woods and and seeing all these um, all these uh, all this wild, wild, uh, wildlife and just really learning my uh, learning about my surroundings. So it was it wasn't too bad of a situation. So it wasn't terrible, uh, but you know there, there was there were certain aspects where. When you're a kid, you don't realize how different it is, but like such as running water. Um, it was also a very humbling time in my life too, because we didn't have one running water in town. I don't, I don't know, and before I was a teenager anyways. Wow. And it's and it's not that the community didn't have it. Like there were certain areas in the community who had running water. It's just that certain houses or certain areas weren't able to get it as quickly as others. And um, Wow. And unfortunately, that's that's just the way it was, right? So, um, so yeah, like I wasn't, um, I'm kind of, uh, how should I say? I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of grateful that I, that I came up, uh, that I, was, uh, I grew up in such a... Humble beginnings. Yeah, humble beginnings and just really, really being able to get out into, uh, get out into nature and just kind of grow up around nature. So it was... It's something that I think, um, yeah, it was really nice. 
And a lot of us have, well, I won't say a lot of like metropolitan, I guess people who live in the metropolis area obviously don't have that uh, luxury growing up in the natural environment like that as like for myself growing up in the concrete jungle <laughs> of Toronto, <laughs> born and raised. Um, it, you know, I remember going when we went hiking and um, you're like, oh, look, it's a coyote. I was like, what the? <laughs> I was ready to so like, should we run? Like, I don't know what to do. So, I mean, even when I, they, I, you know, it said, you know, watch out for bears when we would go hiking. I was like, I don't want to see bears. I'd freak out. And I remember you're like, well, they're actually more afraid of you than, than you would be of them. Cause you just see movies. Like, I don't, I have never encountered a bear in my life. Like, I don't know what the, what the, what you're supposed to do. I don't have bear spray. I should be carrying it. But, um, <laughs> for me, I was, I'm glad that when we went hiking that somebody like yourself, who was more, you know, what, you know, more, um, uh, aware of the nature and, and what that entails, like poison ivy. Like, I don't even know what poison ivy looks like. I still to this day don't know what it looks like. <laughs> um, and I blame that as being a city person, but I'm pretty sure there's other city people who are like, I know what poison ivy looks like. How come you don't know what it looks like? So maybe that's just me and my um, ignorant self. But, uh, but yeah, it was it it was very it was very clear that you were very aware of um, of you know your nature surroundings and everything and what. Yeah, and the funny was. thing, yeah, the funny thing is too is like when I was growing up, uh, growing up in the reservation too, like way out there. Like, I didn't know what poison ivy, too. I, like, I didn't know what it was mm -hmm. for quite a number of years. And um, you'd think I would, because, like I said, I was out in the bushes. I, I would just, like, take off and just start exploring all over the place and just just uh, pretty much almost get on the brink of uh, going the brink of getting lost out, out in the woods. Yeah. And so you, you would think that, like, oh, yeah, he must know what, what poison ivy was. And there was a reason why I didn't know what poison ivy was it's because I'm kind of immune to it. I could like I was walking through poison ivy brushes this whole time. Yeah, I remember, I remember you telling me that, and I was like, yeah. "What?" <laughs> yeah, and I remember when I was um, I was with some friends at uh, school that time out in Show Lake, and uh, we were playing like, pretty far out in this field and getting towards like the the wooded area, the the, the bushes, and I started walking in them and. And I was walking, uh, getting further out there. And I was like, hey, what? I'm trying to get my friends to come out and play with me. And they're saying like, no, like you're, you're going to be itchy. You're walking in poison ivy. And I was like, what? Really? They're like, yeah. And then like, I was like, oh. And I walked out and I never had a reaction. And I've never had a reaction to this day uh, against poison ivy. So like it's- That's pretty it's, um, amazing. Because like, I, I always thought everybody, no matter who you were, would get- a reaction to poison ivy even if yes. it's mild yeah yeah like i'm sure like obviously if I, i'm sure if i like rolled around in it and like, <laughs> and, and, like if you really, slept in it yeah, <laughs> yeah there's probably some sort of reaction but yeah yeah i didn't know about uh i didn't know about it until quite later in uh my uh kid years and uh, also too like bears and stuff like that yeah like wild those kinds of wildlife were were fairly common in in growing up as well you know you'd see them on the road you'd be like oh that's a bear like i guess uh you know just kind of wait for it to to leave and that's just how it was they were just as commonplace as dogs on our 
on our in our community. But of course, you have to be more careful, right? So like everybody went yeah. out, like, if there was a bear wandering into people's yards and stuff, we try and you know people would try and like um, shoot away. Just yeah, shoot it. away. But they're also kind of, and people would also like try and let others know like oh there's a bear in the community so watch out and all this kind of stuff so i love how it's just like hey neighbor there's a bear in the community <laughs> yeah like, the just so like chill about it i'd be like freaking out because <laughs> to me it's just like i don't, I don't want to see a bear anywhere <laughs> so um although like you met like i think you mentioned um uh before that they're just pretty docile but like I mean, yeah. I mean, they're cute from like, if I'm inside and you know, the mama bears with her cubs and you're like, oh my gosh, it's cute to see them interact. But like, don't do it in my yard, please. Like just <laughs> go away, do it somewhere else. Don't play in, I remember there was a video of this woman and she, I get, uh, of, this woman took, sorry, of her, of her backyard. And it was, a, uh, um, yeah, it was a mama bear and her like three cubs and they're just playing in their little kitty pool. It was so adorable. But then in the end, I was like, oh, can you get them out though? <laughs> like, can someone move them? <laughs> they eventually left. Uh, when you watch the video, they eventually, they, I guess, had their fun in the pool and then they just walked right back into the woods. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's, sounds like you had a pretty good upbringing and on the reserves, um, which is good. And I know you mentioned that not everyone has had that experience that it could have been a little bit less um, less fun, I guess. And, uh, but what are, what would you say are some misconceptions about people on the, who live on the reserves? Um, I guess one of the misconceptions that I hear about people living on uh, reserves is that it's uh, free land. Or that mm. they own, or that the, they own the land. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just not true. It's, uh, it's uh, far from the truth, actually. That the land uh, reservation land is not owned by uh, the Aboriginal peoples. It's actually owned by the government. So all that free land that we have and all that kind of stuff, like that, it's not even it's not ours. It's still controlled by the government through the Indian Act. Yeah, so that's one of the things that a lot of people just um, just they don't understand that. And, um, and even sometimes when you try to educate some people and like tell them that they still kind of walk away with doubts as if like, uh, as if you're, they're being lied to. It's like, you know, that, you know, it's kind of like, that's just how it is, man. Like, I don't know what else to say. I love how people like, why would you lie about that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Cause I mean, when you told me that I, I, it wasn't even that long ago. I think that you told me that, um, you know, uh, the, the property is not owned by the Aboriginal community. And I was like, wait, what? And I was, I was completely shocked that it was owned by the government still, which, yeah, that, that threw me for a loop when I found that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, when it comes to, um, all these, um, how should I say it? All these, um, understandings of or misunderstandings like, yeah. of uh, Aboriginal people owning this or having this free land. It's, it's just completely not true. And yeah. um, that's just, unfortunately, that's just the way it is right now. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I can't imagine 
having it be your land, but then the government owns it and then having, yeah, it's just, that, that would be really frustrating. Um, speaking of, what is the most, or if there's more than one frustrating stereotype about Aboriginal people in general that you've heard? I guess the one thing that, that um, the one kind of frustrating thing, and it's not really, it's not really frustrating, it's just more annoying really, is that we don't pay taxes. And it's um, because like I pay taxes every bloody day, right? Like I do my taxes. I always pay, yes. ta <laughs> I pay taxes every, every year. Yes. My paycheck is taxed to death. Um, yep. So it's, um, yeah, so we pay our taxes. And they're, and what a lot of people do refer to when they're talking about this is the, uh, the infamous uh, status cards. So the mm. status cards basically is what um, identifies a lot of Indigenous people as Indigenous people. And it tells, um, it shows which band you're from as well, too. Um, so that's that's kind of like the whole point for them. Like that's the Indian registry, the Indian registry, as uh, it's known for, known as. But also because there are exemptions to certain taxes that we are eligible for. Mm -hmm. So it's not all taxes, and these exemptions to certain taxes are fairly, um, they're, they're fairly fairly minimal. So back before HST, there used to be something called GST and there was GST and PST, the goods and services taxes and the provincial services taxes. So when it came to the provincial services taxes, there were certain goods or, you know, I might be getting mixed up now, um, that we were exempt from. And it was all, and it was only on certain goods and services. Like it wasn't everything. And it was something that I did look into a, a while back, but I was just kind of like, you know, it's it's so it's it's so tedious sometimes just trying to use the card at all, anyways. Especially when you're in, which, especially when you're in a in a place like Toronto. Mm -hmm. Like, say you are exempt from a, a certain, or your your taxes are exempt from a certain per on a certain purchase. Yeah. So you want to use your card. You know, chances are you're going to be handing your card to someone who really has no idea what it is, and then they're going to have to call a manager, and then the managers they they should know because that they're the manager, right? They they have to know what what uh, what procedures are in place for a lot of things. So they're going to call their manager, and the manager is going to look at this and. And then they're going to have to start this process and you know your, the process might take more than a few minutes there might be a lineup behind you and just like ah you know like so the whole thing with this tax exemption card that a lot of people always bring up they're like oh let me see it can i see your card can i see the card and i'm just like <laughs> i'm always just like yeah okay here here it is here's the magic card it's like and the, the willy wonka the, like ticket you're like can i see it and you're like oh. yeah <laughs> So, and I always have to tell them and then, but they, but there's, there are a lot of people who say like, oh, I'd be using it every day. If I had it. I'm like, yeah, you sure? You're going to use it on a piece of gum? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It, so it's always, it's always weird to get other people's um, ideas on it or their, their viewpoints on, on it. And the funny thing is, is that it's the people who are usually really snarky about it that you don't pay taxes thing i always find are the ones that are so vocal about using it 
if they had a chance to use it. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like upset that you have it. They're like, oh, you get to like exempt from different things. Um, and then meanwhile, they're like, but I would totally do that anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so it's ridiculous. But- yeah, so but I can't even I, I can't even remember the last time I used it, honestly for that purpose. Like the only purpose I use it as is just uh, identification purposes. Right. Um certain areas of Canada, it's a lot easier to use it. Um, because if you go to certain areas of Canada or Ontario or wherever, and there's a large Aboriginal population within that area, mm-hmm. chances are they're gonna know that what it is right away and there's a smoother process in line for it so like if i go back like when i do eventually go back home for my vacation like it would be a lot easier for me to use it there because it's it's so well known there that that cashiers automatically know what to do right but if i if i was to use it here uh in toronto at a, a walmart say you know they're not going to know what it is because a lot of that the cashiers you know they're of this face of like a lot of them are immigrant help right so so they're not they're not going to even know what the hell it is. They're going to be like, what is this? What is this? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's it. It depends on where you are in Canada. It depends on the the areas in the region. Yeah, I remember when I worked at um, La Senza. Um, for anybody who doesn't know what La Senza is, it's kind of like Victoria. It, it well, it is a lingerie store. Um, like Victor, it's like Victoria's Secret, the Canadian version of Victoria's Secret, which now we have Victoria's Secret, which is hilarious, but. Um, and I remember, yeah, the women that would come in and who are Aboriginal and they show their status card. I think the first time when I got it, I was like, what is this? <laughs> I didn't know what it was. And uh, they, of course, I went to, my manager obviously had to tell me how to do it. And yeah, from then on, it, it's that's what was my first interaction. I think I was 19 at the time. So um, that's when I knew of status cards. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Didn't know. <laughs> Um, but to think that, uh, you don't have to pay taxes. I think that must be really frustrating because you're like, no, I do. We still do. We still got to contribute and we don't get everything for free. And yeah. Yeah. I definitely pay taxes. And there's, there's been a couple of years where I had to pay back. So we yeah. pay our taxes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so don't, don't believe the hype guys. Um, <laughs> But going back to uh, the reserves, I actually wanted to ask you as well, what would you like to see, or if is there anything that you would like to see changed on reserves? Um, whether it's your, like, seems like the one that you're on was pretty decent, um, but for those, for other reserves, uh, what would you like to see changed? Um, even my reserve, like it's, it wasn't, um, like the only reason why, like I, I really had a, a good upbringing is because I had like good parents at the time. Yeah. And, um, so they were, they were able to really provide for me and help and kind of shield me from certain things that were happening like uh, around me, uh, around, um, around our house. So like our my community wasn't exactly well off and we still really aren't well off. and a lot of reserves i know aren't really well off either so there's the one thing that i would that i would love to see changed on a lot of these uh, reservations would be um better infrastructure and 
Sorry, I cut off there. So you said better infrastructure? Yeah, yeah, better infrastructure, you know, really improve on it, uh, housing, especially uh, education systems, um, economic development, you know, create jobs and stuff. Mm. Because really, that's that's really where it's that's that's really where where it lies in, right? Right. And there are certain, and don't get me wrong, like it's not like this for everybody. Uh, there are certain uh, reservations and communities all over Canada who are really making great great strides economically and really really um, opening up a market. Uh, or, or, or Canada as well. Um, so it is happening all over the place. It's just some some reserves are just uh, aren't really doing as well as others, and you know, some others are doing way better than others. And as to why this is, I don't know if it's it's. Um, um, I, I think it would be something worth taking a look into as to yeah. like why, why some are why doing what more. We're doing better than others, yeah. Yeah, and, and how they and and how how they're getting into this uh, to the that, uh, I guess you could say um, time of development. And for uh, you know ab Aboriginal peoples, and by the way, sometimes just as FYI, Brandon um, may in use Aboriginal or Indigenous and it'll be interchangeable. Uh, but it's basically the same word. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, <laughs> so, I, I think that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is true. I use Aboriginal and uh, Indigenous interchangeably. So it's, there's yes. really no, there's really no distinction for, for, for me anyways. But for others, there are distinctions for some others. Indigenous, some people really do like to use the word Indigenous yes. and it's more appropriate. Some people use Aboriginal and that's all they use and that's appropriate to them. So, you know, it's- that's It all depends the on I, the purpose. Yeah, yeah on the person. On the person and, mm -hmm. and, and what they believe in. So like, for me, right. I use interchangeably. So it's it's the same, the same people. Right. <laughs> <For me. laughs> so in case anybody's listening to like where, who's like indigenous and who's Aboriginal, I didn't know if anyone might get confused for those who are not aware, but um, he's using that interchangeably, but, um, so what are, so for the peoples, um, you know, First Nations, Métis, Inuit, um, what issues, I know it's going to be very, like every tribe is different, but um, what do you think of the issues are that are still faced today? And I know you mentioned the economical part, but um, yeah. What do you think there's, is there, cause I know there was a big, we learned in back in school how there was like a big issue with um, uh, drugs, alcohol, suicide, you know, I'm not sure. Oh. That was so long ago. I'm not sure now I've, how. Oh, yeah. yeah. In certain communities. Is. Yeah. In certain communities. Yes. Uh, drugs and alcohol and substance abuse is still a, it's still a major uh, problem, unfortunately. And um, unfortunately, um, that seems to be an ongoing problem for a lot of uh, communities, and it's and it's really hard to change that and reverse it, especially when the community is kind of in a very stale, a stale period of growth, and there is no growth. So, like, 
you get a lot of these communities there's, there's a lot of people really feel that there's nothing else to do other than just do that and i and i get it too like if uh, i've been to some of these uh some of these these remote communities and there really isn't anything to do um mm. aside from you know biding your time but if you're very resourceful you know there's things you can you can obviously try and do but yeah like there's yeah there still has to be certain there has to be changes to be made to eradicate that or at, yeah. or at least not eradicate it unfortunately but at least bring it down minimize it and bring it down to a more controllable level because let's face it like everybody's it, it doesn't matter where you're going on the planet everyone's still going to drink right <laughs> still you know <laughs> it's true. you, you you can go true. to the most. You can go to the most posh uh, neighborhoods, and you're still gonna find people with uh, with problems with substance so. abuse. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, yeah, I think uh, like you mentioned before, with how education, jobs in those areas. I mean, I think it's, it's super important that our our you know the community or the government or somebody who can help to get that in those areas or if there's someone close to those areas that can see a need for um more jobs um yeah and that's in those areas another, can help yeah and that's another part of it too is the government and um and it's it's like i said it's awesome and great to see um other first nations around canada who are becoming more economically independent mm -hmm. and having to rely less on the government because they, they they're growing to a point where they they have their own economies and they have their more they have their, their own income and they do uh through business ventures and through investments True. so you're st so we're really starting to see some of these communities really take off and they're, they're really becoming you know they're really becoming something to uh to really um how should i say it? uh take donors so it's just it just seems to be that other communities who are who who are very unfortunately um, poor and have to rely on government funds, they they tend to be the ones that seem to not fare so well right now, mm. and that's where I think that change has to happen. Where yeah, you have that government um, dependency cannot be helpful for yeah, and I can understand why why it's hard to get out of that too because if you have like if you if you have if you have a community that's very isolated in in a certain part of canada mm -hmm. it is really difficult it is very difficult to kind of see what kind of opportunities are out there for you like you it's it can be really difficult when you're in it when you're in a dark place and it's you can it's hard to see how you how you can possibly grow and that's what these a lot of these communities face it's like how do we do this and some people might say like okay well you know you can start doing this but then it's like oh we need the money for that right and it's like, well we could possibly apply for a loan and that can be a long process right then and there and then there are government supports for that and then maybe sometimes they, they don't even qualify for the government support so it just it's it just turns into this vicious cycle of like having your dreams shot down over and over and over and over yeah and um especially if you're in a very very remote community where it's like you're like miles and like hundreds of kilometers away from any sort of urban center like what will your 
what will your economy be like what is or what is it how will your like what's gonna what's gonna be your your livelihood your livelihood there so yeah a lot of these a lot of these questions are asked every day and it, it's yeah there there really is no easy answer right. but but thankfully there are people out there who are really working to make making this uh reliance on government uh become less and less that's good i think that's a good idea because of course economic independence is what will help give the community more confidence and obviously thrive and not have to rely on the government of course to um to provide everything <laughs> pretty much it's, it's a de the dependency can be debilitating i'm sure i can only imagine i mean um not being in a situation myself but um yeah i mean it sounds as though there is a a lot of optimism based on what you're saying that with the aboriginal peoples that you know in years to come if they continue on this positive um journey of you know being more economically sound and um having being in certain jobs and like such as politics and you know teachers and you know help which can bring back to the community is it fair to say that you're you think in years to come that the communities will be out of the poverty that they're in right now oh yeah yeah definitely it's 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 um it's something that's happening right now like it, it's happening slowly but it's happening right now and um certain communities will move a lot quicker than others yeah that's just how it's going to be mm -hmm. um whether that's based on just having the just having the right people in your community having the people who have the right skill sets the right mindsets and um the right educational backgrounds to to, to get the ideas off the floor so it is it is happening mm -hmm. a lot of there are a lot of communities out there who are who are very um i guess you could say uh advanced um and there are others out there that are still you know very struggling struggling to really really um get themselves out of that uh that stale rate of growth right so but they will eventually get out of there it just it just it's just when and it's just how what's what's going to be the what, what's going to be the uh timeline yeah, yeah. yeah was, the timeline what's going to be the, the factor for the growth what's what, what is it going to be right so well and, i like uh, mm -hmm. oh, i was just, just going to say that and right now like it's we're, we're in pretty interesting times right now too where our internet is finally evolving to the point where um now we have that starlink satellite now oh yeah be, yeah so that's going to be a, a that's going to right there is going to be a game changer for a lot of these remote communities because so can you explain the starlink um internet <laughs> i'll try um, so the, the <laughs> not starlink... like not in full-on like detail but just like in a nutshell well yeah well the starlink satellites or the starlink internet um is satellite internet really there's that constellation of uh created by <laughs> yeah elon musk elon musk yeah yeah low earth orbit satellites or leos and so there, there is a community uh 
near my hometown uh, called Pekanjikum. And they were actually, I think, if I'm not wrong, and I'm pretty sure that I'm not wrong on this one, um, they were the first community in Canada to actually give this, uh, to test this uh, Starlink stuff out. And it worked really well for them because Pekanjikum is very, very cut off from mm. urban centers. They're, they're, they're a very remote community. And so I guess that community was the testing grounds for Starling in Canada, from what right. I understand. And lo and behold, it works very well, like apparently faster than uh, cable. So, and I have seen some of the, uh, and I have seen some of the download and upload speeds and it is pretty impressive. Yeah, my- uh, Faster, faster than mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, my, my, uh... My boss, um, my, yeah, my boss, my workplace, uh, she stated that, oh, was it her? Maybe it was um, someone else in the company, but one of them stated that in their cottage area, which normally it's, it, I think, because their cottage is kind of a little bit remote, um, that they were uh, looking into getting the Starlink. They did get it and they said it's amazing because normally they're not, they, to get the local internet that they had was always really slow and because of the location that they were in and um yeah they said it's amazing it's a, kind of expensive <laughs> but uh they were very much um happy with it and gave it a a plus so yeah for places that are as you mentioned for aboriginal places that are remote that need access to the world and have this internet this is really great so thank you elon musk right <laughs> for that um thank you so much brandon this was very insightful um from hope anybody who's listening that you did learn something maybe it was something that you you know had your own stereotypes about <laughs> you know aboriginal people and maybe they were um i guess uh can't even think of the word, but I guess they just got shut down. <laughs> or maybe just you'd learn something from what Brandon had yeah. uh, had shared. But as mentioned, of course, his experience is, you know, his own experience and, and um, you're not speaking on behalf of the entire community. And I'm sure that there are others that have had a different experience growing up Aboriginal, just like any culture, you know, everyone's, um, it could be different for everybody, but um, I think there was a consensus consensus regarding certain things, you know, such as what's best for the community, what you would like better for the community. I think that probably might be a consensus, and um, as well as debunking those uh, stereotypes that that people have probably said to not just you, but many other Aboriginals out there. So I thank you so much for for being on my podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Awesome. All right, guys. So thanks so much for listening and take care. Bye. Bye.